Well, our uh, minds are pretty amazing things, aren't they? We uh, have an ability sometimes to remember things and kind of wonder where did that memory come from? Why do I still remember that? What's uh, this all about? Then there's other times when, especially when you start to get a little bit of the gray uh, in your hair, you walk from one room into the other to do something and you get to that second room and you say, what was I coming in here for? I can't remember. So those with gray hair, you can nod your heads and giggle and chuckle because you recognize that. Um, and that, that happens to us, you know, as, as we go along. And our minds, our brains are, are amazing. Um, sometimes our brains take us to places we'd rather not go, to things that we'd rather not remember, uh, things that we would rather not uh, re-experience or, or uh, visit again. I've shared with you before uh, a story of my growing up. Um, I grew up in a family where my father was abusive. Um, my parents would have an argument or a disagreement and wouldn't talk to each other for days and sometimes weeks. And, of course, as kids growing up, you would uh, walk around on eggshells like, okay, which of my parents am I going to offend by talking to the other one? And very, very difficult uh, growing up. And uh, like I said, my father was, was abusive. Uh, we, as uh, kids, experienced My mother experienced it as well. And, of course, we saw all of that. And uh, my oldest sister uh, uh, lives out in California. Uh, She got uh, pregnant at the age of 16, um, uh, moved out, got married at the age of 17, and uh, a couple of years after that moved to to California with her husband. Uh, He was an abusive man, abused her uh, very severely. And uh, so she uh, experienced that for many years. And I praise God that uh, he left her for another woman. And uh, my sister got remarried to a man who just treats her beautifully. And we're very grateful for that. But I may have shared this with some of you before, but when Ann and I went out to California... Uh, in 2008, went out to visit my sister and brother-in-law, and we were there, and one evening we were sitting around just chatting, and, and my sister just looked at me, and she said, why did Dad hit me all the time? Why did Dad always hit me? And frankly, to be honest with you, I probably gave some lame, like I was off, caught off guard, and I really didn't know how to answer, and I, you know, I probably didn't give her a very good answer. And it really bothered me for a long time, uh, that I didn't, and uh, I really uh, struggled with that. And uh, last summer, 2014, not this past summer, the summer before 2014, my sister was here for her 70th uh, birthday. And uh, so now since she moved out, it's been, I don't know, like 50 years, uh, more than that, 52 or three years since she moved out of the house. And we were sitting in our home. And she again looked at me and she said, why did dad hit me all the time? Think about that. Over 50 years, my father has been dead for many years. 
He has no influence or impact on her physically anymore. And yet her mind goes there. And I don't know if it's being in my presence reminds her of family and growing up. Uh, I don't know what it is that stirs that up in her mind, but, but for her, she's got tremendous pain that she cannot let go of. I know she would like to. I know she would rather get rid of this. I know it's something that, that she, she struggles with. But it's in her mind. And there's nothing seemingly that she can do about that. And oftentimes I've kind of struggled like, what is it about that? Why can't she let it go? And then I remember my own life and my law enforcement days. And... Uh, so I, I remember, uh, for instance, when we take a ride around the island, everybody would agree in here that the island is a beautiful place. It's a, a great place to go and, and, uh, and, and just see God's beauty and, and things. But when I drive out onto the island, I see a body found, a dead body up by Kabagam's grave. A body that I can still see as I'm speaking to you right now. I can picture that body there. I can tell you that every time I drive around and I get up by Kabagam's grave, and I don't always say it, but every time I can picture that dead body there. And not too far from there, about a week, uh, less than a week after that, we had two people who were washed off of, they were northern students, they were washed off of the break wall. And they drowned. And you can go out there now and you see there's a little plaque in, in their honor and memory. And so when I drive by, I, I see that as well. And then I drive a little bit further up and, and I come up to an area where it's really, really high and it's a very steep cliff down and I can still picture a man that jumped off of there. And I was part of the rescue team that went there, and, and uh, I was on the, the uh, Coast Guard boat, and we were doing CPR on him, and, and we brought him back in, and he went into the hospital, and he was saved, and he, and he went into the psych unit, and as soon as he got out of the psych unit, he went back, and he jumped again and committed suicide. That's what I see when I drive around. And then, and then if you look at that beautiful sunset point you know we all love to go out there and we see that and we see the beauty of that place and and, and we drive in and we see uh the sunset at sunset point but when i drive around there i i come around just a little bit further than that and, and you know there's that big curve and what i see is a dead young woman a northern student who was on the back of a motorcycle and the man who was driving that motorcycle lost control going around the curve and he hit a tree and she flew off and broke her neck and died. And, and I tell people, that, you know, my training kicked in. And, and so another police officer and I were there. And, and what you have to do at a, a scene like that is you have to triangulate the body. So you can put that body right back in the exact same place. So if somebody came along and said, well, where exactly did this happen? You could say this is where the body was and this is all of the permanent structures that are around. And to do that, you know, you would have to step over this dead body and walk around. And 
weeks later, all of a sudden it hit me that that was a person that was laying there. And I walked off over her and, and, and I put a ruler by her head and her feet and, and I didn't even think about it. But it was a person. That was somebody's child who was there. So when I drive around the island, as beautiful as it is, that's what I see. I believe that probably it's a form of PTSD, trauma that I experienced and lived through and dealt with. Um, and I can't get it out of my mind. I could look at that and say, well, just put it away. But whenever I drive out there, I can't help. That's what I see. Well, why am I telling you that? We have to figure out a way to deal with and get rid of our past hurts and our past pains and our past difficulties and the things that, that can fill our minds and cause us to hurt and be in pain. And so if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 8 and 9 of Philippians chapter 4. I believe that God in his word gives us a way for us to deal with this. To replace the negative thoughts, the bad thoughts with better things. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. This is what God's word says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, what is it, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think of such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I think from these verses that we see that God wants us to take control of our minds. God wants us to have our minds centered and focused on something that is pure and good and honorable and noble and pure. That's what God wants us to think about. Well, where do we find that? Where do we find that to fill our minds with? Well, we find it in the Word of God. We go to the Word of God and we read the Word of God and we, and we fill our minds with that as often as we possibly can. We replace the negative with the positive. We, we, we change from being people who are just hearers of the Word, people who are doers of the Word. And we start to live a different kind of life. And I think the way that we can take control is found in these verses. And so the first thing that we can do is we think about these things that are noble, true, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And we think about such things. Whenever I read the Word of God, there's something in there that I find. I can be reading a section that's, that's really difficult and really hard and yet, somehow the Holy Spirit gives me something good and positive 
to think about. Something pure and noble to think about from His Word. His Word is full of amazing grace that we can use to fill our minds in ways that will help us in our daily lives. But then we have to have people that we teach that teach us how to live this way people who will come in and and from whom we have heard and seen these things people that we have uh, watched as good models for us and these are people that uh, we can uh, learn these things from I've been blessed here uh, to uh, have had many people who have influenced me with positive things and the key there is to put them into practice again we can look at these things and we can uh, imagine them, but we have to not just hear them, but we have to put them into practice. We have to learn to live them out in a way that reminds us on a daily basis about the grace and goodness of God our Father. It's replacing old bad thinking with new good thinking, thinking that is helpful and positive in our lives. I've had the privilege of being in this church for many years, and as I was uh, standing in the back at the end of the service today, Marcy Holmont came out and thanked me for the message and really gave me a word of encouragement. And, and I had to tell Marcy, you know, Marcy, you're one of the people. Marcy's been through many hardships and difficulties. Two husbands who have died a son who died way too young. And yet Marcy has remained faithful. Marcy has been one who has always been an encouragement. Marcy has been one who just loves the Lord and trusts and believes in Him. And I could say that about many others, even some of you who are here in this room, how, how you have impacted my life by the way that you have lived through difficult things and how you have allowed the Word of God to speak through you into our lives, how you have lived your lives. Well, why, why is that important? Well, the last part of it here tells us that... I'm not sure why that one keeps coming up. Why? Because the God of peace will fill your mind with His peace. I am always amazed at how the God of peace can give us a peace that passes understanding. You've all seen somebody or been around somebody who has every reason whatsoever to not be at peace. They've got every reason in the world to be anxious and angry and frustrated and all kinds of other emotions. And yet, through it all, through it all, all they do is demonstrate and show us the peace of God that passes all understanding. When peace is the last thing that you would expect from this person, just comes flowing out of them with a grace that can only be explained as having come from God. And, and that's why we have to do something with our minds to help us to deal with that, to give us that kind of of peace and we can all experience the peace of God according to Philippians verse 4 verse 7 it says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus just at that time 
when you don't understand, when you can't figure out why in the world this person would have peace, we understand it's because it's a peace that comes only from God. It doesn't make sense any other way. It doesn't make sense any other uh, reason other than it's the peace of God that passes all understanding. And some of us have seen that and experienced that and felt that as you're in the presence of somebody who has gone through a tremendous heartache or difficulty and you're in their presence and, and you get encouraged and blessed by them. Last week on Sunday, Ann and I left here and we went up to see Amy. And I think it was of God that Gary and Elise stayed here a bit longer because we had a chance to visit with Amy. And we were, we, Ann and I just left there so encouraged with the peace and the grace that she had, that she just demonstrated for us as we visited with her. She has every reason, and having been in the ICU, she had every reason to not have peace. But it's a peace that passes all understanding. That otherwise doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why in the world would you have peace in this situation? It's because it's a peace that comes from God and God alone. It's a peace that passes all understanding. I believe from Scripture that God wants us to remember things that help us to be more like Christ. One of the things that we have to do is we have to be in His Word and and understand His Word and read His Word. Today we're going to be doing, we're going to be celebrating communion. And we're going to be doing it just a little bit differently than we normally do. I had a number of people who came up to me afterwards and just really thanked me for a different focus on communion. And the wonderful music that Julie had selected that really emphasizes what we're trying to remember, what we're trying to point out. And so today, as you can see, the message is broken up into three parts. We are going to transition in a moment to uh, partaking of the elements. And as we do that, I want us to slow down a little bit from what we normally do. I'm not criticizing or complaining about how we've done it. I just felt led of the Lord this week to do something just a little bit different. And so after we partake of the elements, what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song that reflects something about what we had just participated in. I want to remind us that Jesus was with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. In Luke 22, 14 and 19, it says this, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Let me just set for you a moment the verses that lead up to that. 
Jesus knew what was ahead of him. And he knew how significant and important it was for him to share the bread and the cup with his disciples. But think about what he said and did. He sends a couple of his disciples. He says, go into town, and when you get into town, you're going to see this guy walking, a couple of different versions, have it different ways, but you'll see somebody, and you follow them, and you go to the house of the master, and you ask, tell the master that my master, Jesus, wants to have the Passover here at your house. And he'll show you to a room, and just get it ready, because he's going to let you use it. Okay, that's the Hank Steed paraphrase, okay. But that's essentially what happens, right? Now, you, those of you who know me know I, I like to have, like, what's a practical application for that, okay? So here's, here's a practical. It would be like Billy Graham comes to Marquette County, and he says, hey, you know what? I'm going to have a bunch of my followers join me, and by the way, just go to that house and tell them we're going to do it there. Right? That's what's happening here. Jesus has hundreds of people following him at this point. He says, go and tell the guy who owns that house, get your room ready upstairs, because we're going to come and we're going to have the Passover at your house. Hey, Billy, come on in. Right? Isn't that exactly what you would all say? Hey, yeah, come on, Billy Graham. You and your followers, come on into my house. It's amazing. And yet when they go, the guy says, yeah, there's the room. It's upstairs. Use it. Of course, Jesus is God, so he knows what's going on. He knows what's in the heart, so he, he doesn't. But, but again, that, isn't that a practical, modern application? And so they come and they go to that place. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, the idea here is replacing an old thought with something new and something better. I have old thoughts when I think about the island, Presque Isle Park. But you know what? I also have some new ones. You see, if I drive a little bit further than Sunset Point, I come to Lake Superior. And at Lake Superior, we do baptisms. And I just picked a couple of pictures from this summer's outdoor service, but I could have picked several others. I have one on my desk in my office of Josh, Josh Vissering when he came up out of the water. And he and I raised our fist, yay, God. That's a vivid memory that replaces those other memories. When I go to the island, I also have the hope and the promise of young people who have given their life to Jesus Christ. 
and have chosen to follow him into the waters of baptism, as these two young ladies did. And our granddaughter goes into the water and comes up with a smile. Because she was obedient to God. I don't have to dwell on dead bodies. I can dwell on new lives because of Jesus Christ and the willingness of people to follow him into the waters of baptism. And so today as we partake of the bread, we're thinking about the image of Jesus Christ gathered around with his disciples And as he's gathered around the table and they're reclined and he's talking to them and he's teaching them and he says, do these things in remembrance of me. What is he doing? He's telling them, replace those old thoughts. Replace those negative things. Replace those things that are are tormenting you and bothering you and remember these things. These things that I have taught you. The way I have lived in front of you. How I have been an example to you. Remember these things because they're far more important than those other things. Those things that torment you and hold you back. Those things that cause you to to question and to doubt and to wonder. Think instead about these things. He wasn't just talking about the bread and the cup, as important as those are. He was talking about his whole life and how he had lived with them, all of the things he had taught them. And he wanted them to stop and take a moment and just reflect. And that's what we want to do here today. We're doing it a little bit differently because I want you, when you receive the bread, we're going to pass it here in a moment, when you receive that, I want you to take it, I want you to think for a moment, and I'm going to pray But I want you to think about all that that involves. And I want you to reflect on the importance and significance of that. You see, when Jesus took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you, he knew what was ahead of him just hours. He he knew that, that they would take his physical body and abuse it he would be beaten he would be slapped his beard would be pulled he would be spit on god spit on but he did it willingly for you and for me because he loves us so much that he did that for us god allowed his body to be broken for you and for me. And so when, when, we re, when we remember the bread, we're remembering far more than just a piece of bread. I don't want us to come in here and just out of, out of habit, once a month we take the bread and we're, okay, I did my communion. No. It's more significant than that. That peace that replaces the things that are going on in our minds. It's a peace that can only come through what Jesus Christ did for us. We remember those things. We reflect on those things. We make that a priority in our thinking. So here at Bethel, we practice what we call open communion. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, 
you're invited to partake of the elements. And so as the bread is passed, you're welcome to take one. If, you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, we just ask that you would pass the elements. Nobody's going to question you or challenge you on that. The decision you have to make personally. And then I'll lead us in a word of prayer, and then the praise team is going to lead us in a song that helps us to focus and reflect on what Christ did for us. Again, I I want us to remember the amazing grace associated with this broken body. So would you join me in a word of prayer as we thank God for the bread. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promise and hope that comes to us because you allowed your body a human body, born as an infant child, raised sinless, perfect, unblemished, spotless, but rejected because men could not stand the thought of your perfection in their presence. And so they rejected you and they, they abused you physically. The Bible tells us that they took a crown of thorns and they placed it on your head and they beat it down into your head with a stick. That they whipped you and just abused your body physically. They pulled on your beard and spit on you and slapped you and laughed at you and taunted you and yet with amazing grace you went forward in spite of what you could have done. You could have called 10,000 angels and they would have come and and stopped it all, but you chose to allow this to happen to you because you loved us that much. Lord, as we partake of the bread, help us to reflect and to think about that amazing love and grace that's only demonstrated in this way. So as we partake of the bread, Lord, we're reminded that it represents your body which was broken. For our sins, we do it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Same way as he had done with the bread, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks and he looked up into heaven and he thanked his Father and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood and do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And the covenant, as you recall, was an agreement that God had made to the Jewish people the Jewish leadership over the years. And though many of them had failed and and not fulfilled or, or kept their end of the covenant, the agreement, God was always faithful to that covenant that he had made. And now Jesus Christ says, I have for you a new covenant. And this is an everlasting covenant that will never, ever end or be broken because it does not depend on you as human beings but it depends on God's faithfulness to do what he said the cup as we partake of it represents Jesus Christ's blood he became the sacrifice for our sins because we as people could not do it on our own imagine 
if you would, heaven, perfect, amazing, wonderful place, streets of gold, rivers, beautiful, flowing through it. Awesome. Just think of the most awesome and beautiful place here on earth that you've ever seen and then multiply it a hundredfold. To be in the presence of God the Father, an amazing God who is far beyond our ability to, to understand or comprehend or, or to explain. Amazing God. And Jesus Christ left that place to come here for you and for me. Jesus Christ, who had been at the creation of the world, according to John chapter 1, he was there when the world was being created. He was in existence before the creation of the world. Jesus Christ had never, ever experienced sin in any form or shape or way. As he hung on that cross, he took all of your sins and mine was poured on him sin upon sin every sin every sin that you've ever thought of and done anything that you've not done everything is poured out on jesus christ everything i've done every thought that i've had everything i've said or done any time that i've sinned it all gets poured upon jesus christ over and over and over again as he hung on that cross it's poured on him see the love he's hanging on that cross and he's looking down and he sees those people who had done this to him he says father forgive them for they know not what they do but he wasn't just talking about those people who were there he's talking about you and i as well saying father i'm dying on this cross for their sins don't hold it against them I'm the final sacrifice to take away their sins. They deserve the punishment. They're the ones that did wrong, but I'm taking it, God. Taking it. He's hanging there on that cross, and there's blood running from the crown, and it's coming down his face and his back and his neck and all over and there's a nail in his hands, nails in his hands, and nails in his feet. And at the very end, they throw a spear, and it goes into his side, and blood and water flows from that. We say, don't do that, stop that. But that blood, that blood washes away our sins. So that we can someday stand before God, forgiven in spite of our sins, in spite of all of the things that we have said and done or neglected to say and do. God has poured out his love upon us in that Jesus Christ took our sins upon himself as he hung upon that cross. Can't imagine a greater love, a greater sacrifice, and a more amazing act of grace than that. So as we partake of the cup, and I'm just scratching the surface, 
He says, remember this. Do this in remembrance of me. All of what I just shared and more. What he's talking about. All that, that he had done, all of the things he had said. That's what he's wanting us to remember. Replace that other stuff with this. This is what's important. This is what's eternal. Replace it with something eternal and lasting. And so as we partake of the cup, I, I don't want us to just take that and drink it and, okay, I've done my, my monthly thing, I've had communion. No, I want you to slow down and reflect what one Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. Would you join me as we pray and word of thanks for the cup. Lord God, I thank you for this unimaginable gift of grace that was demonstrated by you by dying upon that cross for us. And Lord, you didn't hold it against the people there. You don't hold it against us. But rather you say, Father, forgive them. You can say that because you took our sins upon yourself there upon that cross. Lord, help us to live our lives in a way that reflects an understanding and a belief that what you did was enough. We have a covenant of promise and hope of spending eternity with you because you died upon that cross. You paid our penalty. You took our sins. You who were sinless and perfect took our sins. And though you did it 2,000 years ago, you did it today. And you will do it again until you come. Lord, as we partake of the cup, help us to remember what you have done for us, for that amazing grace, that amazing love that is far beyond our ability to even fully comprehend. And all we can do is say, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's one little catch. It's, a, it's free grace. It's something that God offers. But we have something that we have to do about that. You see, God tells us that we must believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was and that he did what the Bible tells us that he did. Now, there are a lot of people who have uh, said, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ was a great teacher. I believe that, that Jesus Christ was a man who walked and, and lived a, a good life. But they might not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and we must believe what the Bible says in John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. He doesn't say I'm one way. We must believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Or we will not e uh, receive eternal life. That's not my interpretation. The scripture is very, very clear on this. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. And he said it several times. In Acts 16, 30, Paul and Silas 
were asked the question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? And their answer was this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I had a conversation this week with a a woman who had come in, or last week I guess it was, who had come in for some counseling. And I asked her a question that we use in EE. If you were to die today, God, and you went to God's heaven, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you give as an answer? She said, I thought I was prepared for every question you might ask, but I'm not ready for that one. And it opened up a door for me to share with her the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a woman who goes to church all the time, not at this church, but at a different church. But she didn't know the way of salvation. She didn't understand that there's nothing that she could do to earn her way into heaven. See, Jesus Christ, even if we believe that he was a great teacher, if we believe all of the things that he said and taught and all of those other things, but after he was crucified, if he had remained in that grave, then we would be honest if we said he was a lunatic. Because anybody can make any kind of a boast, but Jesus Christ didn't make a boast about something that was not fulfilled. Jesus Christ was crucified. But God raised him from the dead as the first fruits that you and I have the promise of eternal life. We can spend eternity with him if we will believe. We have to make that choice. Each and every one of us individually must decide what I will do with this Jesus Christ. Will I believe that he is who he said he is? God said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 1 John 5, 11 to 13 says, and this is the t- testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know for sure that we have eternal life if we trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on that cross. God raised him from the dead. Over a, four day of, a period of 40 days, he was seen by hundreds of people, 500 at one time. Many other people saw him for 40 days. He was alive. He has testified. People have testified about him and said that he is alive. And one day he was with the disciples and he ascended into heaven. And he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, making a way for you and for me. But we have to believe. That's what the scripture tells us. We must individually believe. Parents can't do it for their children. Children can't do it for their parents. We must believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon that cross. You must individually make a decision. Will I trust him for my salvation? Will I make him my Lord and my Savior? If you will, you can have the promise of eternal life. If you don't, then the promise is just the opposite. At the end of the service, or as we end the service, we're going to sing another song. It's a song with wonderful hope and promise. 
I'll be out at the back with the elders, and we'll be glad to visit with you. We have several people who, who are involved with the EE program, and they would be able to speak with you. If you never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask the EE people, if you would just come up toward the front, just be available. If somebody has a question, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, today is the day. You don't know if there's going to be tomorrow. Can you stand in front of God today and give him an answer to that question? Why should I let you into my heaven? And if you can't, come and speak to one of us. We would love to speak with you and give you the promise and the hope. Because you see, God did not allow Jesus Christ to see decay. God did not allow Jesus Christ to remain out of that grave. But up from the grave he arose with a triumph over his foes. And he lives forever. And he's promised that same hope to live forever for you and for me if we would believe in Jesus Christ, his son. Will you believe today?